Good evening. I'm Pastor Eric Corbett, the associate pastor, uh, filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And if you would turn to, uh, we're going to start off with Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And then our anchor verse, uh, you can keep your finger in Isaiah chapter 6, but John chapter 12, verse 41. And it reads, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So tonight's uh, message is titled, Glorious Declarations. And we're going to talk about the glory of Christ. So there are times when we just need to speak about the glory of God. And Isaiah was called to be a prophet at a time of great transition. Uh, The kingdom of Judah was prosperous under the rule of King Uzziah, and he reigned for 52 years. And Uzziah was a good king, and now he's dead. And this was a heavy blow to the nation and also to the prophet Isaiah, his heart, uh, now that this good king was gone. And uh, Isaiah was in need of knowing that the real king of Israel was not dead. And to see him seated on the throne, which indicated that he was still fully in control and ruling. So when we look around today at all that's going on in our world, uh, it seems as though our expectation of having the ability to fix these things also seems like it's dead. If we're trusting in man to fix it, well, it's going to remain that way. However, we have a king that is far above and beyond any expectation of man, and he's in full control of all things because he is the Lord of glory. Isaiah saw his glory and the reality that God transcends transcends any excellence or limitations of man. Isaiah spoke much of the glory of God as so much of it had been revealed to him, and being a prophet, God gave him visions that enabled him to see the glory of God. He would actually see that. And uh, if we're to speak of God's glory, then we too first need to see God's glory also. And seeing the glory helps us to know and to remember who he is, what he's done, and what he can do. So first we'll talk a little bit about glory. What is glory? Well, what what do you think of when you hear the word glory? Do you think of great wealth and power? Uh, Maybe it's glory on the battlefield. Uh, The word glory is used to express the exalted honor or praise of things of man or of God. And glory can denote material or spiritual dignity or wealth that calls forth such honor or praise. And the world has its ideas uh, and concepts of what glory is. It comes up with all sorts of things that they, you know, stamp the, the label glory on, say this is glorious. They're not always wrong necessarily, but many times they're misguided and short sighted. Uh, in their view, at the very least. So, you know, um, again, all sorts of things can be labeled as glorious. And I guess, you know, if uh, 
Uh, it might be okay to sing about food, glorious food, if you're, you know, s- stuck eating gruel every day or if you're really, really hungry from time to time. But uh, there's a little bit more to glory than, than just food, glorious food. Um, so glory in its fullest sense has to do with the majesty and splendor that accompany the revelation of the power and character of God. So uh, there are some attributes uh, or expressions and examples of God's glory. And and two major aspects when we talk about God's glory uh, are, one, his nature and his character, and two, his manifest presence. So uh, first we'll talk about his, uh, his character and his nature. So God's glory is connected to how he's regarded by mankind. Psalm 113, verses 3 through 6 read, From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? And so name is nature in scripture. And God is seen by this man, Isaiah, as high and lifted up, as he stated before. And he's referred to as the most high God numerous times in in the Bible. And so to see God as as high and lifted up is is an aspect of his character and his nature that is revealed in his glory. His glory also includes his moral character and is connected to his holiness. This is what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says this in Psalm 29 verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so uh, holiness is closely connected to God's glory, and you you can't separate the two. And we see in the scripture, uh, oftentimes, uh, a few times, it's stated, the phrase is given uh, to give God the glory or give glory to God. And it shows up again several times, and it's an expression that developed among the Jews that basically, in essence, means confess and tell the truth. And so it was uh, used at times when someone was uh, uh, accused of being guilty. We we find that uh, Joshua said that to Achan uh, after he took the forbidden things, um, and and God had brought Achan forth and was going to pronounce judgment. And uh, Joshua says, give God the glory. In other words, confess what you've done. And the idea is that all sin is an offense against the holy God. And the guilty must acknowledge his holiness by coming clean. So therefore, the phrase, give God the glory. If you confess what you've done, then you're you're honoring God and his holiness by by coming clean. And again, you can't separate the holiness of God from the glory of God. And so we see this also when Moses meets God in the burning bush uh, passage in Exodus chapter 3. And the Lord tells Moses to take the sandals off his feet because the ground he steps on is, is holy. And that's because the place was made holy because of the presence of God. So here is Moses, and he sees this burning bush, which, again, is, a, is an expression of, of God's glory. And, um, and it's closely connected to his holiness. And so uh, that's an example that we have there, again, of not being able to separate the holiness of God from his glory. So uh, God's character and, and nature are one aspect of his glory, but another aspect uh, is his manifest presence. And that's the one that we, we see most often in the scripture and are probably a little more familiar with. The glory of God is often expressed by a manifestation of his presence in scripture. 
there are a few Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament that are translated uh, as the word glory. And the most commonly used one is the word kabod. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, which denotes heaviness. And it carries the idea of weight or importance, uh, riches, and honor. And it means that when God's glory is manifest, it's not insignificant. It's, it's very notable. Uh, it's not to be ignored. So when, when God manifests his, his glory through his presence, um, again, it's very obvious. Uh, again, going back to Moses and the, the burning bush. And, you know, he, he, Moses says, you know, I'll turn to the side to see what this great sight is uh, because it was notable. It stood out. And when God shows up and manifests his his presence uh, in that way, it is often, uh, again, not to be ignored. At the giving of the law, oh, excuse me, well, before we get to that, uh, the tabernacle, when the tabernacle in the wilderness was finished uh, in Exodus chapter 40, uh, verse 34, this is what it says. It says, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, again, um, this is a notable moment in the history of the children of Israel. God had given the instructions to to Moses to uh, erect the tabernacle, and once it was finished and completed, God uh, consecrated it by exhibiting his presence, and his manifest presence was very visible uh, to all the people in the, in the wilderness. And um, so, again, God is not to be ignored, and his glory is often a way that he gets our attention. Uh, sometimes God will do things for the specific purpose of getting our attention because up until that point, maybe we weren't paying attention. Maybe we were distracted. Maybe we were ignoring God. And uh, uh, Jonah is an example of, of God uh, using uh, not his presence, but other things to manifest his glory to Jonah to get his attention. And um, so there are various manifestations of God's glory, uh, particularly in the Old Testament. And uh, just a few examples we have here. Um, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, Abraham, when he entered into a covenant with God, uh, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch uh, that God had caused a, a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham, and he gave him this vision. But God manifested his presence this way. Uh, at the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 24, on the top of Mount Sinai, there was uh, a fire, a great fire and smoke uh, that, again, was very notable uh, as, a, as a manifest example of God's presence. And the one that we see most often is the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night in the wilderness, which, of course, was a, a shield to the children of Israel in the, in the daytime and, and light at night. But we, the most common manifestation we see uh, in Scripture is described as a, as a bright, shining cloud, uh, and it's the same thing that filled the tabernacle in the wilderness. And the word that the Jews use for this cloud is Shekinah. And it's not a word that's found in Scripture, but it means the presence. And I've heard one pastor describe the Shekinah as uh, radiant awesomeness. I mean, it's, again, it's something that you wouldn't just pass by. It's, it's, it's going to catch your attention. It is this, it's indescribable, but just this, this intense manifestation of the presence and the glory of God that he used very often uh, in Scripture. And um, 
so again, the, uh, this manifestation, the Shekinah, was most often seen uh, in a physical place most associated with the presence of God, such as the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness or the temple in Jerusalem, but not always. Uh, there were times when it showed up in other places. And the prophet Ezekiel gives us a vivid description of the glory of the Lord revealed to him in a vision when he was in Babylon. And in Ezekiel chapter 1, this is what uh, he writes and tells of his experience. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26. <clears throat> and above the firmament over their heads uh, was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So here is Ezekiel giving this description of in this vision that he saw of the Lord and manifesting his glory. And again, he talks about this cloud and this brightness, and it's the Shekinah that, um, that we spoke about earlier. And he describes not only the Shekinah glory, but also a glimpse of the God that inhabits that glory. So Ezekiel kind of fills in a little bit more to us, and he saw all sorts of things. <laughs> um, uh, the fiery beings, the seraphim, and uh, just, just a wonderful expression of, of God's creation. And um, so the most important thing for us to know and to remember about God's glory is that it helps us to see God. That's the important thing to, to take away. When we think and, and we talk about the glory of God, he reveals it so that he can reveal more of himself to us. And, and that's what we're supposed to latch on to. Not so much the, the cloud and the brightness and, and, and the fire and the, and the smoke and, the, and those things. What do these things tell us about God? What is he saying? What is it that he is wanting to unfold more for us and, and give us more understanding about who he is? That's what we need to zone in on when we talk about the glory of God, that it's something that, again, he helps us to see him clearer. And so the physical manifestation of his glory is most often reserved for his people. Uh, it's typically not seen or displayed before unbelievers. There are times, of course, the Egyptians saw the, the pillar of fire, and uh, there are times when unbelievers will see different uh, manifestations. But for the most part, when we look in Scripture, God only does these things for the believers. He only does these things for the saints. And I believe this is because we're the ones who will most easily recognize and appreciate when our God shows up, or at least we should be. When we see something that is an expression of God's glory, it's supposed to catch our attention. I mean, what if Moses had just decided he was just going to walk past the burning, but he'd never seen anything like this before. And he'd say, oh, yeah, look at that. Okay, come on, sheep, let's go. We've got to go to the next pasture. If he had just ignored that, um, that wouldn't have been good because he would have missed all that God had for him waiting for 40 years in the backside of the desert. What if God does something for us? What if he manifests himself in a way, um, and we all know, as believers, you know when, when you sense the presence of God. Um, I believe all of us have had times when we know he is near, and maybe he, he does something very specific. 
in my early walk as a, as a believer, one of the things that God would do for me that let me know um, that it was, it was him letting me know that he was near was uh, rain. Um, when, when, it, uh, when it would rain and, and rain softly, there were times when it was just the, the timing of that beginning was just perfect, and I knew it was the Lord. And he wouldn't do it often. But there were significant times when I knew that God was saying, I'm here. And he was using that as a, as a way to do it. And for me, that was an expression of, of his glory. That was because who else can do that, right? <laughs> you know, hey, here's a little, here's a little sprinkle there for you, buddy. Uh, get refreshed. Um, nobody else can do that. O- only my father can do that. And when he does it, I know that it's him. And maybe there's something that he has done for you, that you hold dear to your heart, that you know when it happens, when it takes place, this is the Lord. Thank, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for reminding me that you are with me, that you are near. Thank you for paying such special attention just to me. You've done this just for me, and thank you for that. And that's, I think, what our, our response should be. We should, we should recognize these things when he does them. And so, uh, again, he's not necessarily going to physically uh, manifest his presence to you when you want or think you need him to. But, again, remember he's with you whether or not you sense that presence because he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And that is something that, as as a Christian, I hold dear to all the time. I know that God's not going to leave me. And so there are some similarities between the visions of Ezekiel and what Isaiah describes because the Lord that they both saw is one and the same. The, the, the Lord that Isaiah saw high and lifted up, his train filled the temple, is the same one that Ezekiel saw in this, this rainbow and this glorious Shekinah cloud. And uh, this one that they saw is none other, none other than Jesus Christ himself. And this is what we're told in John twelve forty one, Because John says, he gives the commentary on... on uh, Isaiah's vision, and he says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. And he's, he's speaking specifically of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk a little bit now about focusing specifically on the glory of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says of Jesus Christ in relation to God the Father, it says of Jesus, he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. I love that verse. Because it, it, it flies right in the face of anyone that says that Jesus Christ is not God. Um, this verse right here proves it, that he is God. It explicitly states that Jesus Christ not only has the glory of God, but he is the glory of God the Father. It says he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He's the one that conveys all that God the Father is. And if we want to know what the Father is like, we only need to look at Jesus, the son. God states that he doesn't share his glory. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, this is what the Lord says. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. That said, it's made very clear in the Bible that Jesus Christ is the son of God, and because he's God the son. Therefore, the glory of God is his. So he has his own glory. Uh, when you talk about the glory of God, you can talk about the glory of Christ, and they're one and the same. And so let's look at some examples of the glory of Christ specifically. In Isaiah chapter 40, 
verse uh, 3 and five, three through 5, this is... Um, what um, is said about the coming of Christ. And, oops. Oh, well. Uh, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And, uh, of course, this is speaking of John the Baptist, the forerunner, uh, coming of Christ. And it, later it says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So John the Baptist came, and he was to announce and proclaim that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is coming. And that, that the glory of the Lord would be revealed in this act, and this, this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, again, that's speaking of, of the glory of Christ specifically. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus Christ, of course, uh, God, the son, he came uh, to, to, to live, live and dwell as a man, of course, to win salvation for us. But he, uh, the whole time revealed the glory of the father and, um, Again, full of grace and truth. John chapter 2, verse 11 says that this is at the wedding in, at the, uh, uh, in Cana of Galilee when Jesus turned the water into wine. And it says that by doing this act, he manifested his glory. He did something that no one else had ever done, that only God himself can do. And to his disciples, and it says his disciples believed in him because of this act. It was almost like it was done specifically as a miracle for them. Uh, so that they could know, that, okay, this is the Messiah. He's the one. John chapter 11, verse 40. This is, of course, after Lazarus had died. And uh, he'd been in the grave for, for four days. And um, Jesus is speaking to his sister. And he says, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And, of course, he goes on to call Lazarus forth and to raise the dead. Not by touching him, not by doing anything fancy, by just just pronouncing his name, Lazarus, come forth. That is the power that he had because he is God, and he he manifested his his glory and the glory of God in that act. Uh, in John chapter seventeen, verse five, in his high priestly prayer, he's he's speaking to the Father, and as he's on his way heading to the cross, and he's talking to the to the Father before others so that they could hear. He says, Glor- Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. In other words, he's making it very clear that he is God and God Almighty and that he is, he is inseparable from the Father and that he had glory that is, was hidden at this time. Uh, was, it was cloaked in humanity and flesh. But it was, it was glory that he always had and had the legal right to and the authority to have to, to say, Father, glorify me together with yourself. No one else could have said that. And then in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 25 and 26, this is after the resurrection and the two on the, the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes and joins them and they don't know it's him. And he's talking to them and, and it's just a, just a wonderful exchange and uh, they're downtrodden because, because the Lord has been crucified and they don't know that he's risen. And then he says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Speaking of the, the, 
greatest act that he could have performed for us, which was giving his life and then, of course, being raised from the dead. And uh, then lastly, I'll uh, mention Matthew nineteen twenty eight. This, of course, is Jesus speaking of his return. And he says, the son of man, uh, or, or he sits upon the throne of his glory. And uh, so there are times in scripture when we do see glory attributed to men or to, or to things and, and not just God. Um, some brief examples, uh, Joseph in, in Genesis 45, he, he, he's telling uh, his brothers when they've come to, to meet him, he says, uh, so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. So Joseph is just a man. But God had, had raised him up and had blessed him and had given him glory um, as, as, a, as an earthly ruler uh, in, the, in the land of Egypt. Um, things that have been bestowed glory. Uh, the garments of the priesthood. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, God says that the holy garments for Aaron were for glory and beauty. The high priest was to, to, to look striking. He was to be notable. Um, because he was a representative of of God's um, uh, sovereignty and and relationship to him on earth. But so there are things and, and men who have had glory bestowed upon them at times. But as was said before, God doesn't share this glory. So anything that has glory truly attributed to it has either been glorified by the hand of the Lord and his touch or by his very presence himself. And that includes the works of God, his creation, his kingdom, heaven, of course, and then us, his saints. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's speaking of us. And his hand is upon his people. He has chosen to glorify us, you know, in the greatest sense when we get to heaven. But his hand is upon us now. And there, there is, a, there is a, a distinction between us and those who don't belong to the Lord. And it's, it's his presence. It's his power. It's his truth. It's all of the things that we hold dear to in our faith and that we know about our God. He's bestowed upon us. And in these sense, it's a, it's, it's a glory. It's, it's a manifestation of, of God. He can reveal himself to others through us because of his presence among us, because of his touch upon us. And um, so God is in the process of making those of us who believe like his son, the Lord Jesus. And that is glorious. I mean, that I can be like Jesus? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Me? <laughs> you? <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> uh, he's going to, he's going to, he's doing a work that we don't see in completion yet. But when we get there, oh, brother and sister, <laughs> let me tell you, it is going to be glorious. And I hope that you all are excited about that. I am. Uh, if, as a believer, you should be looking forward to that coming glory, not because of 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 being uh, of the things that we will have. I mean, that's part of it. You know, uh, the peace, uh, the, the the freedom for, from sin, 
um, all of the wonderful things that God has indicated that he has for us, but to be with him, to, to not have anything in the way of our relationship, to be able to be connected with him perfectly and, and, and for there to be no blemish, not only in us, but in our relationship with him, to not have to worry about, you know, um, displeasing him. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be glorious. And th- that's, that's what I think we should be hopeful for. Um, in addition to all of those other things. So why is it important to see God's glory? Why is it important that we are aware and conscious of the glory of God? Well, for one, it's an acknowledgement of him and who he is. Again, to, to see God's glory, it's, it's, a, it's a revelation of, of himself. And the pride of man com- competes with God's glory. But there's, there's really no competition between God's glory and the, and the, the pride of man. Um, we'll look at this in uh, Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 35. This is uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was a very proud man, but God dealt with him. And um, Nebuchadnezzar is going to recover. And so this is what it says. Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Can you hear the pride? It's just bubbling out over here. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So Nebuchadnezzar was warned that this was going to happen. And yet he still, because of his pride, uh, continued on and and God dealt with him. And God, in his mercy, let him know that he was going to deal with him. But then he recovers. And in verse 34, Daniel chapter 4, and at the end of the time, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And then uh, verse 36, At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar knew what those words meant. Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. And so the pride of man was not, of Nebuchadnezzar, was not able to compete with the glory of God. And, and God, because Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the world at this time, uses him as an example to say that pride is not good and it does not have any competition with, with me, the Lord, and my glory. And at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar 
he he recovered and he glorified God as a result. And so um, it's important to see God's glory and to know that there is uh, um, an acknowledgement of who he is when it when it shows up. And there's no competition with with man's pride. It's also important to see God's glory for our own edification. And we need to see it. It helps us, again, to remain grounded in our knowledge of him. It helps us to remember, again, who God is and what he's done and what he can do, what what he's capable of. And there are times and circumstances that we encounter in life when we need to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. And 1 Samuel, um, King David, this is uh, after the the people, uh, they had gone to this battle and... uh, uh, the, the wives and the children and all of their goods were kidnapped. And the men, they come back and they find this going on and they're distraught. And they're talking about killing David. They're talking about stoning him. And the Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord in First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. And David, how did he do this? How did he encourage himself in the Lord? He didn't, you know do that by boosting himself up. You know, the world says, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, you got to, you know, get in there and do it. No, David knew that wasn't going to work. He went to the Lord. He, he encouraged himself in the Lord by looking at the Lord, by, by looking at and remembering the, the wonder and the splendor and the glorious greatness of his God. And he saw God as bigger. He got in front of God and made God bigger than the situation around him about facing being put to death by these people. And so he fixed his eyes on the Lord and again saw his splendor. And so we need to remember in times when we need to be encouraged that we don't have an impotent, weak little God. Our God is not only mighty, he's almighty. (laughs) Do you get that? He's not just strong. He is the strongest. And so we can look to him when we need that strength. Because we all have times we need when we're not strong enough, when we're just weak as water. And not everybody will admit it, but everybody finds themselves in that place at one time or another in this life. In this fallen world, you're going to find yourself there at some point. And you're going to need the strength of the Lord. And when you need the strength of the Lord, don't try to pump yourself up. Get your eyes fixed on the Lord. See him in his glory and how big and how wonderful and powerful and majestic and glorious and, and, and splendid and awesome that he is. And that's how you pull. That's how you get out of there. You're not pulling yourself up. God is lifting you up by you connecting yourself to his presence, to his person, to his truth and to his glory. And that's how he does it. And he's given this to us where we don't have to fumble around and try to figure a way out of this. And that's how the saints can go through excruciating circumstances and come out shining because they focus their eyes on the Lord. And it's it's his glory, you know, that, that you know, humble yourself in the, in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And he does it sometimes without us even knowing it, sometimes without us even being conscious of it. If we just keep our eyes set on in front of us and the Lord. And again, it's it's. Uh, it's important. Um, so why else should we see the glory of the Lord? So that we can tell it. We need to see the glory of the Lord so we can tell it. Going back to our passage in Isaiah, 
Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 3. This is the seraphim. And it says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So Isaiah, he's in the presence of this holy God. And he saw the Lord in his glorious majesty and splendor, and he was awestruck. And he was so taken by the majesty, power, and splendor, and holiness of the Lord that, as he said, he was undone. He, he, was, he had nothing else left in him. He knew that in the presence of, of this high and holy God, that he was a sinner and that he was in need of cleansing. And in response to his confession and repentance, because he, he says, you know, what was, was me? I'm undone. Um, uh, dwell in the, the midst of a people of unclean lips. Um, in response to his confession and his repentance, the Lord grants Isaiah what he needed most. And he needed his sin to be dealt with and to be taken away. Isaiah knew that, that in the presence of God, he saw himself because he was overwhelmed and overshadowed by the holiness of this glorious one and saw how unholy and unglorious he was. And it's the same thing for us when we, when we, when we come face to face with the Lord, when we're in his presence, um, you know, we, we know that, that we're not worthy. Uh, we need to have our, our sin dealt with. And uh, if it's never been dealt with initially, then that needs to be taken care of. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is what Isaiah did. He's, he's confessing with his mouth. And we need to see the glory of, of Jesus Christ and trust him for our salvation and our continued cleansing. So you've, 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 you've been born again. You've come to know the Lord. Well, guess what? <laughs> We're still a sinner. We, st- we still have the opportunity and, and, a, and a part of us, that fallen part of us, that's going to want to go the other way from the Lord. And that's going to cause sin from time to time. And so God in his mercy, he's, he's set things up in such a way, of course, where that does not have to be uh, a condemning offense because, because God has cleansed us of our sins. And so it's only after Isaiah's sin is dealt with that he not only hears the call of God, but he's eager and ready to go into action as a result of that call. Isaiah goes on to preach many things about the Lord after he has this encounter. And so for us, you know, the question is this, you know, have you seen the Lord? Have you seen his glory like Isaiah? Have you been born again by the spirit of God and been purchased by the lamb of God and washed in his blood? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, if so, then you too can preach, my friend. You too can preach just like Isaiah went and preached. 
You don't have to be called as a prophet like Isaiah. You don't need a pulpit. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to have a bullhorn. You don't even have to have a, you know, I talked to uh, somebody some years ago, and uh, he's a brother, he's a, a believer, and, um, you know, God was doing things in his life and, and was giving him opportunities to, to begin to, to teach. And, and I don't know, like, I, I guess it was the Lord who just asked the question. I mean, he was talking about preaching. I said, well, what is preaching? What do you think preaching is? And his, 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 ex, his, his thought of preaching was, oh, well, it's, you, you, gotta, you speak with an with a enunciated voice. And, it, and I was sitting here saying, I said, no, that's, that's really not it, <laughs> brother. That's, that's not preaching. It has, you can preach without even words. Um, so what is preaching? Well, preaching is God's truth proclaimed with passion and power. That's just simply what it is. God's truth proclaimed with passion and power. That's preaching. The person speaking brings the passion, but God brings the power. So if, if you have a, a heart and, and, and it's on fire and you love the Lord, that's, that's passion. And it's not something that you can generate. It's something, again, that the Lord gives to you. And um, uh, I, I know <laughs> that some of you all, you, you, God has given you opportunities to, to preach Christ to others, and you've been faithful to do that. And for those of you who may not, you know, uh, because you, you think that you need to have certain things in place, well, again, all you've got to have is, is, a, is a passion for the Lord and an opportunity to tell it. And um, that, that's an opportunity to, to preach. You, you have the ability to do that. And so we have a responsibility to tell others about Christ. You know, Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. You know, go into all the world and make disciples. Um, but this is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Romans 10, <clears throat> chapter 4, excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And you all who have who do and who have shared Christ and who will share Christ, God says your feet are beautiful because they bring this gospel of peace that can't be brought any other way other than the way that God has ordained it, and that's through the saints. And um, so this is something, again, that we have a responsibility to do, and we're specifically called to this because we're the church. We have been given this commission. And uh, we're supernaturally equipped to do it. So, so don't feel like there's this big burden and there's this big pressure upon you. Oh, I got to go and preach to, to 18 people today. No, that's that's works. You know, there's a whole bunch of other religions and faiths out there that they that's they believe they got to do that kind of stuff to to maybe make it out of this life. Well, that's not that's not you know what I'm not trying to to, to make anyone feel guilty. I'm trying to encourage you to know that that this is for us. This has been given to us. This has been ordained by God himself that we can be the ones who proclaim his glory. 
that we can be the carriers of this glorious message of a Savior who, who loves and who lives, who died for the sake of sinners. And all you got to do is believe that he did that for you. And you can be on this, this team, too. And, um, and it's, uh, it's something that, again, it, it should be a glorious, uh, exciting endeavor. Proclaiming the good news of Christ is, uh, is good for the sake of the believer as well as for the sake of the lost. Um, it's good to be, to be able to share Christ from time to time. You need that. Your soul, your spirit needs that. You need to know that, that, that God finds you useful in that way. Um, yes, God uses us in all sorts of ways. Um, but this is a, this is a way that, that is for us as well. And, um, again, he's given us his word. He's given us his Holy spirit. And if you're a believer in Christ, he's also given you a testimony. If you are, if you are born again, if you, if you, if you belong to the Lord, God has done something for you in your life. If nothing else, your salvation, you can tell that. And it, it can be exciting to tell someone about how you came to know the Lord. And that excitement can carry over. And again, these are things that God has given to us. Uh, I was speaking to a brother um, just a week or so ago. And this brother uh, has, has gone through a pretty significant health crisis recently. And um, uh, there, was, there was all sorts of things involved in that. It was a process. And, and God has brought him through. And just having a conversation with him and just knowing some of the things that were taking place, um, you know, and, and, and obviously he was just very grateful to the Lord for, you know, one of the things he said was that, man, this was like, this was like nothing. This was like a cakewalk. I mean, he went through some intense stuff, but it was because of God's grace that carried him through that. And it didn't feel like an intense trial for him. And, but there were other people around that knew what was going on and what he was going through and could watch it. Unbelievers. And I told his brother, I said, I said, look, man, I said, God has given you a testimony. I said, that is something that not only God has done for you, but this is something that he's given to you so that you can tell others. Because, again, there were others around that saw him go through this. And I'm sure there were those there are those that that are questioning, well, how can how can he be so seemingly joyful about what he's been through? Well, it's because of the Lord. And should God open the door of opportunity for him to tell that, I pray that he does and that he preaches it because you never know what impact it can have. And so if if preaching is going to be effective, it must exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The cross of Jesus Christ must be central in our preaching to the lost. There's, there's not going to be any power if, you, if it doesn't have the cross in it. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church about how he presented the gospel to them, says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 5. He says, um, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul focused 
on simply telling the truth of Jesus Christ to reveal his glory to the Corinthians. And, and, and it worked. And he also tells us in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 that the gospel is the light of the glory of Christ. And this means that if we simply hold up the word of God before people so that they can see the glory of God for themselves, then we give them, give, excuse me, we give him, we give God the opportunity to do what only he can do because salvation is of the Lord. You and I can't save anybody. God does all the saving. But you know what? In his grace and in his mercy and uh, his kindness, he uses us to be a part of that process. Well, why? So that when we get to heaven and God peels back the curtain and, and shows us all of the things that he was able to do through us, then we get to rejoice along with him in what God has done because we were a part of it. Isn't that something? Isn't that so amazing that our God, he could do it all by himself. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, again, thinking of Jonah, you know, Jonah just preached. And, I mean, the, the repentance that, that took place of people around him, God just doing stuff, um, was, was miraculous. He could save people all by himself and not include us in that one bit. He has the power to do it. But he chooses to use us to do it so that we can take part in that and rejoice along with him in, in his wonderful works. And, and that's how kind and how gracious uh, our, our wonderful God is. That's, his, that's how glorious he is. So, again, salvation is of the Lord. And we just need to, to, to lay these things out before them when God gives us an opportunity. And if we can get them to Jesus, then he can get them to heaven. Again, he does all the heavy, heavy lifting because he already did it. Um, we just need to tell them about the Lord when God gives us the opportunity and we can start by just declaring his glory. And so to close, uh, seeing the glory of God is helpful for us to look beyond our circumstances because, it, again, it helps us to keep our eyes focused on him. And Isaiah had to see God as being greater and higher than everything else going on around him. And he did that when he got a glimpse of God's glory. He then went on to tell of what he saw, and countless people, including us, have been helped to see the glory of the Lord because of what he told. And the glory of God is like nothing else in existence, and it should excite us. And this excitement should cause us, like Isaiah, to also be eager to tell of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and how glorious he is. And I'll close with this verse. This is from Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Let's pray. Our Father, how glorious you are indeed. And the splendor that you display to us, each and every single one of us, uh, individually and also collectively as, as your church, your people, the saints of God, is just, uh, is just awesome how, how kind you are to us. And Lord, thank you so much for uh, including us in your endeavors and uh, allowing us to, to be up close to see your, your glory and your splendor in, in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to uh, understand and to, to know these things and, and be useful to you in telling others about this glory and splendor that we see um, now into all eternity. May you indeed be glorified in our sight and in all the earth, we ask, Father. And may you get us home safely in Jesus' name.